Christ. Immature people, how to feed them, and then how to move into what God has for us as spiritual adults, being mature in the king. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as to spiritual, but as to carnal or fleshly, even as to babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For before you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? That's the question. Okay, so in taking the time to, to look at this, we want to remind ourselves that when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, he addressed a number of different topics, I mean more than ten or so throughout this whole book, and on several occasions we have one chapter that is dedicated to trying to answer certain questions. But Paul has had to deal with people who denied his apostleship, people that didn't agree with him. But in the church, in chapter 1, he had people arguing over who baptized him, who was the most important. And that certainly is a, a childish trait, if you take the time to think about it. Uh, when we were all children, you may remember if, if we were talking about sports and interested in sports, then, then we might have said, no, my favorite baseball player is better than yours, you know. And, and, and that's the kind of a thing that is somewhat childish. Nevertheless, it is the thing that kids do. It's, it's like listening to children today. We're in 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 1. It's like listening to children today who, if they're watching a, a cartoon or reading some comic books, they'll tell you that my superhero is stronger than yours. And then they'll give you all kinds of ways that you can come to see how important and how strong their superhero is. Well, Paul uses this idea of being children and being carnal and being babies as a way to describe what happens to us when we're in the Christian church. And the Corinthian people were this way. And as I said in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we're dealing with arguments over who's better, Peter, Paul, so on and so forth. And people were allying themselves with the one that they believe had the most important name. By the time we get to chapter 2, Paul is saying it's not about how beautifully someone speaks. It's not the excellency of our speech, but it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is the determining factor. But he concludes the chapter saying the natural man can't receive spiritual things. Now, when you have conversations with a non-Christian, Sometimes you, you wonder, how is it that such a simple truth is not comprehensible to that particular person? Well, the reason for that, in some regards, is the natural mind doesn't perceive, the natural mind cannot connect with some of these spiritual things. You say, well, how does a person get born again? 
Well, a person is born again because the gospel is presented. When the gospel is presented, the Spirit of God works on a person's heart and mind to give them the ability to perceive the things you're talking about. And this is why Paul said in, in uh, Hebrews 11 that it was God who made things by faith. And he said, by faith we understand the world we're framed by the word of God. You take away the element of faith, and then people take out God. And when you remove God from the whole element of creation, then you know you're not dealing with someone that's spiritual, you're dealing with someone that's carnal. And someone who is a Christian who denies that God is behind all of creation certainly has a problem. I'd wonder whether or not they truly have been born of the Spirit of God who made everything. So 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, looking at this again with a little more detail, he said, I, brethren, talking to you Christians, he said, all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. I couldn't talk to you like you were spiritual. I had to deal with you like you were children. Now, now you understand that you could never talk to your four-year-old kid the same way you could talk to them when they're in their 20s, and the same way you, you have to talk to them even differently when they're in their 30s or 40s because life and experiences has given them the ability to apprehend certain truths and things that you're talking about. A three-year-old is not going to understand anything about paying bills. They don't have a job. They don't know anything about a water bill, a light bill, and all of these kinds of things. So Paul said, I wasn't able to do this and to talk to you about spiritual things. Now, you'll find this with people that you, you speak to. You have to be very careful not to cast your pearls before swine. And if you have a person who is a Christian and you're fellowshipping with them, you've got to quickly try to discern, am I dealing with someone who's carnal or someone who's spiritual? Am I talking to someone who's a baby, or am I dealing with someone who's mature? And the way you're going to find that out is just by listening to how they talk and what they say and how they act. The Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? So our words are a measuring rod regarding what is going on inside of us. If, if you find someone that all day, all night, all they do is whine and complain. Nothing good is ever taking place. You're not dealing with someone who's mature in their faith. If, if you find someone who's just squirrely minded on this, that, and the other, then you're dealing with someone who refuses to bring every thought captive because maturity requires discipline. And, and as a Christian, you can't always say what you're thinking. How many of you know that? Don't, don't we have to have a muzzle on our mouth sometimes? Yeah, you, you can't. If somebody puts a microphone in front of you and you've got 10,000 people in front of you and it's a political rally or some kind of a, a religious rally, you just can't open up your mouth and start saying everything that comes out of your, out of your mouth. Now, now you, you could say that, but it's better if you don't say that. Because when, when you do things like that, you're revealing a lot about your character. So I watch a politician, he'll get up and there'll be adults sitting there with little kids, six and seven and eight years old, and then here's a politician using terrible language. What kind of an example is that for the kids and the parents? Not a good one, yeah. And I remember one time at a funeral where an actor was up uh, speaking in a church, and the actor was in the pulpit 
using language that was foul, four-letter words. I looked at the pastor, looking at the other ministers up there. They're letting this man go on and on. I couldn't believe somebody didn't get up and just sit him down or tell the sound person, turn the mic off, you know. So our, our speech is an indicator of how old we are in the Lord because Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. And children do not speak like someone who is an adult. So in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, again, but I couldn't talk to you like you were spiritual, but I had to deal with you like you were carnal and fleshly. What does that mean? That means you're a person who, whose, whose life is totally dominated by the senses, by sensation, and by emotions. Because a little kid does not have the discipline to live a life dominated by the Spirit. A little kid's life is dominated entirely by how they feel. So when a, when a child is unhappy, what does that little infant do? Cries to let you know that he or she's hungry. There's no other way for them to contact you and let you know that there's a problem. If, if you have a, a, a two or three or four-year-old who's displeased with something that you've done, what do you find that some kids will do once or twice before you straighten that out? They, may, they might throw themselves down on the floor and have a tantrum. They might raise their voice and scream and holler. Notice I said once or twice before you correct them because eventually they're going to learn that while I'm down here yelling and screaming, when he gets to me, I'm going to be screaming even more, so I might as well just go ahead and stop. See? So the, the child then, like a babe in Christ, as the Scripture says here, this is how people act. So I become a Christian. I've been called out of darkness, and over here I'm just living totally blinded to the things of God, the spiritual things. I'm called out of darkness. I move into the light. And that light very often is so bright, just like when you've been in a dark room, somebody turns the light on, you start squinting because of all of this. You have so much revelation and truth coming to you so rapidly as you read the Bible, listen to messages, hear a pastor or ministers teach, that revelation is coming so much that sometimes it overpowers you and overwhelms you. And people, they have to wait until their eyes get adjusted when they're coming from the darkness into light. And this is the same thing with Christians who've come, who've come from darkness into the kingdom of God. They now have to become acquainted with the Scripture. Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is why you can have someone who has been in church for 40 years and still carries on like a little child, easily offended, angry with everybody. If they can't get their way, they'll shun people. If you don't do what I want you to do, I won't talk to you. I walk into the church and I'll just avoid you. These are all the antics that children do when they're on the schoolyard, when they're not getting along with siblings in a house, They'll turn their back to someone. So we, we don't want to be like that. See? We don't want to be babes in Christ. We begin as babes in Christ, but just like the, uh, no baby boy or girl was born to be a baby boy or girl, no Christian was born to be a babe in Christ continually. 
Every male child born into this world is designed to one day become a dad and a hubby. That's by design. That's the way God made this. And everyone who comes into the kingdom of God and is born again is supposed to become a fully functioning member of the body of Christ. And in connection with Christ, they could very well be called into different ministries. Paul said, I wanted to talk to you about spiritual things, but I can't. I've had conversations with Christians before, and I've known immediately there's no way I'm going to be able to have a, a, a good conversation with this person about the Holy Spirit. There's no way I'm going to be able to have a good conversation with this person about Jesus being able to heal. Sometimes when you talk with people and listen to what they believe about the last days or the end times, you realize if I start talking to them about what I believe the Scripture says from Timothy, Titus, Romans, we're going to be in a big argument because they don't believe that. So be careful about casting your pearls before swine. Quickly try to learn whether or not you're dealing with someone mature or you're dealing with someone who's immature. A person who lacks character is the kind of person that when you're talking with them, they get offended and angry and louder if you're in disagreement with them. Now, it doesn't matter to them whether they're right or wrong, but just the idea that you would oppose them causes them to raise their voice. I think I told you when I was growing up in our house, the way you won an argument was you had to get louder than the person that was talking to you. You didn't win an argument because you were right and you had facts and information. No, my brother was saying something, and I didn't like what he was saying. I didn't agree. I got a little louder than him, and then he got a little louder than me. And we could be all the way down in the basement. Mom could be up on the third floor. It wouldn't matter. The, the vents are going to carry all that screaming throughout the house, and before you know it, she's going to come down there. She's going to be louder than all of us. And, and with all the screaming that she's doing, she's definitely going to be the one that is right. But you don't, you don't win an argument by being loud, but we do show our character, our character. <clears throat> so I won't, I won't take a poll or a show of hands and ask how many times you wives have raised your voice at your husband, but if, if, if the per, Hey, hey, keep that hand. Why are you laughing over there? Yeah, it, 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 but if, but if the truth, but if the truth were to come out, I'm sure that that at some point or another, just about every, all the ladies in here, at some point, have gotten a little louder when they were in a conversation if they didn't feel like they were being heard, <coughs> or if they felt like their position was not being genuinely accepted or considered or for whatever reason. And and the key then we have to ask, is this a sign of maturity? I see, of course it is. Of course it is. It's a sign of maturity. You you want to be heard is is not the yelling, but it's the point of getting getting your word across. That's what Tiffany always tells me. I, I will be heard. That's what she says. I will be heard. Okay, so verse number two, 
It says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. So the, the little ones, which is an interesting thing here in America because a lot of the infants, they start on formula. They're not being nursed, and they're given all of this milk and then introduced to softer kinds of food. But then, you know, you go into other parts of the world, and other than them, when while they're being nursed, they're still being introduced to other food. So sometimes I'll see when I'm overseas, a, a mom or dad take food and chew it up and put it in the little infant's mouth. I'm talking about when they just got here to planet Earth, you see. And and the, the, the way that people handle things are so different. So most people here, if they're not using uh, milk uh, that comes direct from the mom, then, of course, it's usually some kind of formula, as I said, or something pasteurized. However, then we go overseas to somewhere, and then I'm watching people give their, their little kids goat milk, camel milk. I mean, that stuff isn't pasteurized. I mean, it came right, came right out the animal. And and it's amazing to me what how the body is able to take what is given and digest it, assimilate it, and then that person is still able to grow. Now, here in the States, People have fights and arguments and debates about whether or not a child should be given this to eat, when sugar should be introduced, how much salt should be kept away from them, and so on and so forth. But yet, when Paul says, I fed you with milk and not with meat, he's saying, I, I have not been able to give you what you want and what I want you to have because you're not ready. Yeah. It's a matter of maturity. What makes it easier for a child to handle meat if they've got some molars in their mouth. That makes it a whole lot easier. Looks like I had a, heard a preacher one time, he was talking about people in church who had been in church. He pastored for decades. He said they just never grew up at all. He said they'd been in church all these years and still had a whole lot of room for growth. But he said, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, taking a bottle and putting it in your mouth and feeding you with milk. But he said, I do hate to have to ask you to take your false teeth out just for me to get the nipple in the bottom of your mouth. So what he's saying is all these people have been in church all these years and yet have grown old without growing better and grown wise. So look at it again. I've fed you with milk and not with meat. Well, what is meat? Let's let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, and let's see what Paul says about us moving on and going on to some important things. In Hebrews chapter 6, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith, toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection and of dead and of eternal judgment. So notice the distinction here in verse 1, the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Every believer should learn the principles of the doctrine of Christ regarding what? His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. The basic teachings of Jesus should be given to every new believer. 
And once a Christian, once a sinner becomes a Christian, then we don't have to wait a long time before we bring them into the blessings of God. There's some churches, they won't let people even take communion until they've gone through 15 membership classes. Or they won't let them get baptized in water until they've gone through X amount of classes. But do you remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? Paul witnessed to him, he got saved, and he said, here's some water right here. Let's get in there and get you baptized. So every believer, though, needs to know the principles of the doctrine of Christ. We learn them in a local church, and we learn them by hanging out with other Christians. This is why I think older Christians are so important in a local church with newer believers. Now, I'm not saying you've always got to take a young Christian and match them with an older person, but I am saying that an older person should be able to live their life in such a way that they're an example. And and younger people need to hear older people in the church teach and talk about things. This is why the Scripture says in Titus, and even with some of the, the statements that Paul made to Timothy, let the older women teach the younger ones. Let the older men teach the younger ones. But if you begin to ask the question, okay, what, what kind of forum or arena would that ever take place? Because typically that there, isn't, there isn't really a scenario where you can have older and younger people together and have the older teaching. But yet Paul makes it very plain. It's important for every generation to receive from the former generation to hear their stories, to hear their testimonies. Younger people need to know how you came to know Christ and why Christ is important to you. They need to know about the, the mistakes you've made in your life, your marriage, financial difficulties. They need to know about struggles that you've had with regard to your health, but at the same time, they need to know about how God has delivered you, how God has healed you, how God has repaired the damage that has come to you in your life as the devil has fought you. Yeah, these are the principles, and, and these are the, the baby things. And so when Paul says in Hebrews chapter 6, we need to go on and then not lay again the foundation what he's saying is if you're going to build a house and you're going to put it on a slab of concrete, once you lay the foundation, don't turn around and put a foundation on top of that and then put a third foundation on top of that and then a third foundation on top of that. At some point, you've got to start with the structure. You, you have, you're going to have to go ahead and start building the building and you're going to have to design your rooms and you're going to have to have all your trusses and everything else. If you're going to have a second floor, you're going to have to prepare for that. But the Christian life is to be built the same way. Babies don't think about that. A four-year-old is not thinking about how to build a house and where they're going to live. A mom and dad is thinking about that. Grandparents are thinking about that. Christians that are growing in God at some point start thinking about how do I build myself into the house of God? I am the house of God because Jesus lives in me, but what can I do as a Christian to make my life more spiritual? How can I be more mature? How can certain attitudes in my life be placed on that cross where they can remain crucified so that I don't continue to act like a little kid every time I can't get my way? 
and just running around saying, mine, 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 you see? Okay, go back to 1 Corinthians 3. So verse 2, he said, when I wanted to give you meat, you weren't able to bear it. It's true. So I don't think the first day a little infant gets here, you ought to start putting, trying to put pieces of a porterhouse steak in that little infant's stomach. I just don't think they're quite ready for that yet. And then he goes on to say, even now you're not able to bear it. So Paul is saying, I have the meat and the mature substance to give to you, but you're not ready for it now. So then as a, as a mom and dad, you'll recall that you knew a lot that you could have imparted to your children when they were seven and eight. But there was no sense in imparting that to them then because they weren't ready for it. It wasn't that you didn't have the knowledge. And it's the same thing in the ministry. When you're dealing with certain people, you realize you may know a lot of things about Scripture, but you cannot impart that to certain people until they grow to a certain level. It's important to know that. And, and even even me, when I'm dealing with new believers and, and I go into different churches and I'm asking pastors, how did the church begin? And he's telling me about this and that. You know, I, I try to read a congregation when I'm visiting so I'll know what not to put on the table as I'm preaching because they can choke on something that could be a problem for them. And for me, it's not a difficulty at all. So you, you, you have to spoon feed people to bring about growth. It's, it's the, old, the old adage, you feed the calves and the cows will get theirs. So we, we make sure that the little children can understand what we're saying spiritually and the older people will get something out of it also. So repentance, that's a principle of the doctrine of Christ. So when you start talking about moving on into things and maturity, you're dealing with our attitude. We're talking about crucifying the flesh. We're talking about dealing with addictions. We're talking about bringing that mind into subjection, bringing every thought into captivity. That's moving us into maturity. We're talking about sanctification, how to take my life, set it apart from what's wicked so that it can be set apart unto what is righteous. That is how we move into maturity. And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. There's not a one of us in here that is ever going to be as perfect as Christ was. However, Christ is the standard of perfection, and it's that standard to which we have to strive. And as we press forward to that mark of the prize, which is that high calling, then a lot of the other things in our life will fall by the wayside. But there will always be something God is pointing to by the power of his Holy Spirit that needs to be dealt with. But as long as we're just rushing around playing in the same little playpen, then that's not, that's not good for us. You know, if you put a 15-year-old at a school desk with a bunch of kids in fourth grade, I mean, even the kids in fourth grade going to look around and tell, he, he seems a little bit out of place. Yeah. And, and, and even, if the, even if the little 14 or 15-year-old uh, didn't feel like he was out of place, everybody else would be able to recognize it. And, and for us who are Christians, when we think about our, our life with the Lord, we can tell what seems to be out of sync. See? Something that is sounding a discordant note. You say, well, that, that just doesn't sound right. 
you know. That doesn't sound right. That, that can't be scriptural. Look at verse 3. For all of you are carnal, whereas, and he's given the fruits now of carnality, there is among you envy, strife, and divisions. Now remember, when we talk about carnal people, we're talking about the flesh. Paul speaks of this often in Romans when he talks about people who are living according to the flesh. That means according to the old nature, what we were before we were born again. Our life before we became Christians is the carnal life. Sometimes I'll say a life dominated by sensations because that's how we lived entirely before we were saved. But once we became Christians and we realized my life shouldn't be dominated by how I feel, but by what I believe. See, I don't always feel like I'm a Christian. Neither do you. Sometimes you may you may wake up and you may feel, you know, bad. You had a terrible dream, a carnal dream. You wake up, you don't feel like a Christian at all, but your Christian faith isn't based on how you feel now. That's what I'm trying to trying to get at. So verse 3 again tells us about some of the fruits of carnality. Envy, somebody's looking at what everybody else has and jealous of them. And, and it's not just a matter of acknowledgement. Listen, for, for ladies and for men, when, when thinking about people that are handsome or pretty, an acknowledgement of a person's uh, good looks is not envy. It isn't, it isn't even necessarily lust. But when you move from acknowledgement and move further over into admiration and then keep pressing that thing, then pretty soon you end up into obsession. Now you, you, you're further along than where you're supposed to be. You're much further along. So envy is, is, is something that has come further than it should come. One of the Ten Commandments, you're not supposed to covet something that belongs to your neighbor, but the only reason we covet something that belongs to our neighbor is because we're envious of, of what they have. But God has blessed you, and God gives you what you have, and you should praise the Lord for what you have. There's one of the Proverbs that says, He that tendeth, no, it says, the diligent one tendeth toward plenteousness, but the lazy one toward poverty. Well, that means a diligent person is constantly looking for ways to better himself, better his family, better his job, better whatever he's involved with, the people that he's working with. So a diligent person's mind is not just thinking about how I can get ahead, but how can I be creative to get ahead? You, you take away competitiveness from different people in certain jobs, and you pretty much remove creativity because, you know, people say all the time, need is the mother of all inventions. You need something. Then you're going to try to figure out, okay, how can I make this work? But if your idea is to envy what somebody else has, then pretty soon you'll be trying to take what somebody else has, and you may be trying to claim what somebody else has, and that's never going to be a blessing for you. You start stealing from other people, people are going to start stealing from you. And when Paul says this kind of stuff is taking place, you're dealing with carnal people. That's what he says, dealing with carnal people. 
The next one he says here is strife. Strife is when people can't get along. Yeah, when they can't get along. <clears throat> you ever heard that story of that pastor's wife who told her husband one time, she said, you know, there are days that I love you more and there are days that I love you. Yeah, yeah, we've said that before. There are days I love you, there are days I love you more. And then sometimes she'll say, today is the day where I just love you. You know, that that kind of a thing. Well, the the way you keep strife out of that home is somebody has to keep their heart right with God, right with God. And if if, if you can remain right with God, that'll keep you from becoming easily offended. Once you become offended with someone in the church, then you're going to try to avoid them. You're not going to talk to them. Or it could get so bad that you will try to be around them and talk to them and say some things that aren't nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there's only been a handful of times I've seen this happen where I've had to get involved or had to get some of the leaders in the church, one of the churches involved, and have to sit down with a couple of parties who are not getting along, and, and somebody's been saying something that's mean or terrible to somebody else, and, and it's never, never a good thing. But I can tell you, here's how it typically is going to go. One of you, if not both of you, are going to end up having to leave if you're not going to repent and forgive and walk with God. Because you, you can't have a heart full of bitterness in a local church that is then seeding and sowing into the lives of a whole lot of other people. Otherwise, that stuff breaks out like weeds in the church. And before you know it, you just got fighting everywhere. So someone has to stay on top of that. And I don't mean someone has to micromanage it. I mean, if, if strife gets bad enough in a church where you've got leadership that has to try to get involved and talk about it, that means a whole lot of people already know. So as a Christian then, the Bible says, if I know that Brother Wentworth has a problem with me, Scripture says I should leave my gift here at the altar. I should go try to be reconciled to my brother. That's how we try to keep strife down in, in a church. If I ever think that there's somebody in a church who's angry or upset with me, I go out of my way to make sure I'm in their face looking for a hug, shake a hand, or whatever else. Because I'm, I'm just not going to hold on to a whole lot of that. And the good thing about me, and Tiff will tell you, I, I don't even remember half the stuff that goes on in the past. She can remind me of stuff that happened 10 years ago, 5 years ago. I can, I'm doing well if I can remember what happened last month. And sometimes that's a good thing when you're dealing with people who may be angry about this or angry about that. But you want strife to be squashed. Yeah. In our, in our early years here, um, and we still do it this way. But Tiff and I kind of have an agreement that if we've had some kind of a disagreement or something like that when we come to church, I don't get up here and try to preach without being reconciled with her. I've only opened the service. So some of you probably can remember them early days. I mean, it'd be running around, it'd be 1028, 1029, and I'm slowly making my way trying to get to where Tiff is, and she'll be on this side, and I'm on this side, and I'm trying to get to her, and she's walking away from me. 
She's walking away trying to stay as far away from me because she knows I'm not going to start the service. And then finally I just kind of stop and just wait until she just starts grinning and then comes over there. I wish every problem could be settled like that. But every problem isn't. And, and some people really do like to hold on to bitterness and, and anger. It says here the next one in verse 3 talks about divisions factions, different groups and parties in the church. That that often happens if we're not careful. You, you'll find yourself in one particular group and you don't want to spend time with other people. You know, it, 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 we, we can be a family church, but by family church, there's got to be family in the body of Christ. It just can't be blood kin family, that kind of a thing. Otherwise, you, you you develop factions, and then only those close to you or connected with you will you talk to. But as a body of Christ, we're all connected, you see. And it doesn't mean we have to always agree on everything, but it does mean as a body that we tolerate each other and love one another. Divisions are never helpful because you can't get anything done with people that are divided. You try to get a bunch of people to do tug of war at a, at a picnic or something like that and get a rope and get five or six people on this side. If everybody's divided on this side and everybody's divided on this side, nobody's going to pick the rope up. And if somebody does pick the rope up, you're not going to be able to get the other ones to do it. Division is never healthy in a church any more than division is healthy in your physical body. If any of the molecules and atoms and cells in your body turn on one another, you're going to have problems in that body, physical problems. You're going to end up having to go to the doctor. A fever takes place because that body heats up, and then the reason you have a fever is because that body's trying to fight that thing off. And with that battle raging, see, in the heat of that battle, your temperature is going up. But if, if you have the kind of a sickness that causes the cells to turn on one another, and you start hemorrhaging, then that's not going to be a good thing. Yeah. And, and many churches bleed out, bleed members, because there's so many divisions in that church. And, and folks are trying to figure out, well, how, how did that happen? Why did they have this split, that split? The church we came out of, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Tiff and I probably can think of three churches in Baton Rouge that came out of Family Worship Center, and, and every one of them got, got more than a thousand or more people. See? And, and, and splits, just a terrible thing, an ugly thing, because division doesn't bring harmony. Most times, when people are divided, they're angry and they're upset when they leave. They're cursing people and speaking evil of people as they go. And when they get to the next place, they're still talking bad about the people where they came from. So if you've got any sense, and, and, and as a pastor, you definitely recognize this. If you've got somebody been in seven other churches and they hated all of them, and then when they get to you, it's only a matter of time before you'll be the next one on the list. Yeah. Division, because that heart is, is not healed. Okay. So the, the last sentence of verse 3 then, are you not carnal and walk as men? See, people, as humans, not as spiritual people. For while one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, why, why would we have to do that? 
this is the kind of thing that makes it difficult when we magnify movements over Christ and magnify denominations over Christ. I've told you how my grandma used to talk. She'd come hear me preach wherever I was in Cleveland, Ohio. She always knew I was full gospel. She was Baptist, but her phrase, and she lived it and she died with it. I'm Baptist born, Baptist bred. One day I'll be Baptist dead. All about the Baptist. Yeah. And and, and I meet people out here, you know, it, it's all about the Methodist church. That's it. If, if it's not connected with that Methodist church, then I, I just don't want to have anything to do with it. If we're going to sow quilts, we're going to sow quilts in our Methodist church. We're not going to raise any money outside that Methodist church. Some people like that for the Lutherans. If I'm going to go to a Lutheran church, it's going to have to be Wisconsin Senate. If it's not Wisconsin Senate, I'm not going to a Missouri Senate, surely not going to a ELCA. But if, if I'm going to go to a Lutheran church, it's going to have to be that one particular kind. You can do that with everybody. And, and you don't ever, ever, please, we don't ever want to be like that when it comes to us. The body of Christ is so much bigger than us anyhow. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out that there are folks there in heaven that made it up the ladder, climbing step by step, rung by rung through a Congo church, somebody else through a Presbyterian church, somebody else through an Episcopalian church, somebody else through an assembly church, and so on and so forth. But we'll all get there and realize it's not about Paul and it's not about Apollos. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And if we keep Jesus at the top, as the head of the body of Christ, that'll keep us from these kinds of factions, you know. Now, we, we're, we've been a part for a lot of years of a number of different ministerial fellowships, and we support them. We do our best to help. We try to preach as many meetings as we can for people that are in there, but I've never, ever, in all of our time being out here preaching in the churches out here, ever tried to spend a lot of time magnifying those movements. I'll mention something that I'm doing, but I've never wanted to just have anybody thinking everything has to be according to one particular movement. We should show dedication and loyalty to where we attend fellowship, of course. Yeah. But I think sometimes it's good for people to visit a few other churches. I do. You say, why? I, I think if, if you visit a few other churches, it may give you some ideas about what we could do around here and what you could do to help in, in something like that. And if you visit some other churches, then sometimes it may help you appreciate me even more. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, when I go preach in different churches, I'm paying attention to the congregations. I'm watching how they interact with the pastor, how they interact with one another. I'm looking at the different things they do and don't do, thinking to myself, man, if you had somebody like that, oh, you can get this done. Then thinking like, oh, I'm glad I don't have that one there. That'd be nothing but trouble. Yeah. You, you, you got to pay attention to that kind of stuff. As a, as a Christian, your eyes should be open. Because when I think of how I want to live my life and spend my last days, the last thing I want to do is what I see so many older people doing today is going to church and going home, and they hate their church, and they hate their preacher. Okay? And, and, and they've been doing this for years. And, and the idea of driving 20 miles, or 10 miles, or 30 miles, or 40 miles, where they can sit and hear the Word of God and be encouraged. 
drive down the street or something like that. That's something they can't fathom because, after all, my great-great-great-grandfather laid the cornerstone right here. And I've got to be dedicated to this. Well, you got more faith in that cornerstone and in great-grandpa's memory than you do in trusting that Jesus Christ can do something wonderful in the heart and in the life. So I'm going to stop right there because I just think that's some good stuff in the first three verses and first four verses with uh, 1 Corinthians 3. But but are we, are we mature? You know, Are we babes in Christ? I hope we're growing in the Lord in our relationship with him. I think all of us are different than we were many years ago. I think so. I, I really do. And I hope and pray 20 years from now that we'll be all... We'll all still be growing, you know. Twenty years from now, Dorothy and Alvin may be moving a little slower, but, but they'll be right out here listening to me. Becky may have to drive Terry on over here to church anyway, but we'll still be teaching the Word of God. All, all will be well. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you that you placed in that book so much information for our, our growth, our edification. I pray, God, you lead and guide us every day. Help us, God, not to be babes, but to grow in grace and in knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.